Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. The rhythm is going to get you. <laughs> you know, when you say it like that... Yeah? I'm as, not... as, as white as I possibly can? Yes. Okay. I, I, may, I may be without the soul for getting down, and you know what that <laughs> means. That Jeremiah was a bullfrog? <laughs> Um, it's a good friend of mine. Yeah, so we want to talk a little bit about music. Uh, we we actually did a, a podcast, not we re-recorded it a while ago, but it hasn't published as of the time of the recording of this about music in video games. But uh, it turns out that that the video games and music it goes beyond just the the stuff that you find in games. As it turns out, people have used the same sort of equipment. Uh, that was uh, uh, originally intended to allow music to play in video games to create new music. Yeah, it's it's funny because if you think about it, we as we were developing, we as in like people 
were developing video games, we wanted uh, musical inspiration. One of the things we talked about in that episode was uh, musical environments, uh, creating the right mood with music and sound effects to make the game more uh, enriching and it makes it more of a, um, a rewarding experience to yes, play. much more immersive that way. Right. That's the word I was looking for, but I was trying to cover. <laughs> Thank you for saving me. You're welcome. Um, the thing is, though... And you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily think about this, especially if you didn't grow up with with uh, the older uh, video game style, <laughs> two bit, four bit, eight bit, yeah, a dollar. Um, you you might I think not. There was a haircut in there somewhere. Yeah, it, it's funny because you might you might think, well, you know, that was so cruddy. I mean, the the music wasn't very high quality, and, and you know, who cares? But. As it turns out, people developed sort of an affection for that kind of a sound. Yeah, you can never disqualify nostalgia. The nostalgia factor conquers all. And then you have hackers. And we're not talking about the uh, Associated Press definition of hackers, uh, people who like to bust into computers to do damage. Um, we're talking about the classic sense of the word hacker. People yeah. who like to learn how things work and then play with them. Yeah, take it apart, see what it does, put it back together in a different form, and see if you can break it and fix it again. Yeah, there's been some really cool hacks when uh, that comes to this. So let, let's kind of boil down what we're focusing on today. Now, if we were just talking about music and the music you can create through video games, that would be an enormous topic. Mm-hmm. And even even so, we are the topic we've chosen to focus on is still a pretty big one, and it's called chip tunes. Yeah, this is this is the merger of hacking and the love for the eight bit sound. Right. So we're talking about the kinds of sounds you would get from classic video game systems and computer systems, things like the Atari, the original mm-hmm. NES, uh, the Commodore sixty four. Mm-hmm. And even some of the older, like, IBMs and things of that nature, we're talking about uh, systems that had a dedicated processor that was meant to generate sound, a de- dedicated chip. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, the, the chip was able to create a certain range of frequencies and a certain range of tones, and that was it. It mm-hmm. wasn't like a, a true synthesizer, right? It couldn't, right. It couldn't uh, recreate the sound of, say, a violin, it could just create kind of a a weird sort of simulation of a violin. No person who had at least a, at least decent hearing would ever mistake for a violin. Right. But you could, you, you know, you could evoke the same sort of feeling. Right, right. Um, yeah, it's, it's uh, if, I also wanted to clarify, too, before we go too much further, when I said 8-bit a minute ago, yeah. uh, that that seems to be uh, the slang term now for old video game. Right. Uh, so don't take that literally, because some of the things we're going to be talking about are, are uh, even more rudimentary than 8-bit uh, sounds. Sure. But, uh, in our History of Video Game Music uh, podcast, we talked about uh, how on the earliest systems, the chip... A lot of the system sounds on games like the uh, the early Pong consoles mm-hmm. and the Atari, those were hardwired into that. So programmers had to take advantage of whatever was available to them on that chip. Right. They didn't have a lot of uh, flexibility. flexibility in that regard. And it wasn't until uh, several years into the video game, home video game craze, that uh, developers were able to create their own sounds and put it embedded in the software and the, the machine would play it back. That way, it would give them more um, ability in that regard. So, mm. uh, a lot of people who make chip tunes are are taking apart consoles like 
Jonathan mentioned, and uh, the uh, the uh, Game Boy too, because they're yes. portable. Yes. Um, and the first person I ever heard about, I wrote a blog post about it a while ago, was uh, a guy named Pixel Hate. Mm-hmm. He's a probably or easily one of the most famous chiptune makers. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually, I've actually seen him busking. There's a video of him on uh, YouTube. His name's Matthew Applegate. He's uh, lives in the United Kingdom, and uh, I've actually seen him with a modified uh, Game Boy out with an amp on the mm-hmm. corner and there's a video of him playing and it looks like he's standing there playing a video game because that's he's essentially taking it apart and doing this mm-hmm. but he's a uh, it looks like he's just standing there playing a video game but he's actually playing music on the device now the question is how do you make that happen well part of the the challenge is that you actually have to create software mm-hmm. that will uh, allow you to sequence music loop music create those different uh, uh, frequencies that the device is capable of. Now, you got to remember that you are you are confined to the the sounds that that chip is capable of, of creating, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. It's not like you can create any sound. Um, but uh, there are quite a few of these programs uh, specifically for the Game Boy. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. I know that I have P- to pull Pixel Hate actually had come out with some of those yeah. uh, himself and has since uh, retracted them. Uh, oh, yeah. It does not offer them anymore. Um, There's one because he he said that he thinks it's um, it, it wasn't right for him to do that anymore. So he's not making that available. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, he was he was one of a, a number of people who um, it requires some some hardware modification mm-hmm. because you have to you have to wire the buttons up to take advantage of the the sound chip to some degree. And it depends, I think, on the console uh, if I if I've read correctly. Um, but yes, it does require some some software engineering as well in order to make it work. Maybe. Yeah, there's a there was one cartridge specifically for the Game Boy that would let you do a lot of this, which you know that was great because the the cartridge did the work for you, um, and it was called Little Sound DJ or LSDJ, mm-hmm. uh, and it, again it had a sequencer built into it. Uh, it could produce the different uh, four bit sounds that the Game Boy could create, mm-hmm. um, and it uh, had uh, four channels for that. So you could create four channels of music with this thing, and you could actually create music live just like Chris was talking about you could uh, using using the control pad and the select and start buttons and the uh, a and b buttons you could create um, loops and insert different sounds and actually sort of be an uh, in this case a 4 bit dj mm-hmm. um and that's pretty cool that's a uh, you know and and that's actually taking direct advantage of the the chip in the game boy it's taking advantage of that chip's uh, capabilities as it turns out, not all chiptunes makers are using actual chips. Mm-hmm. But let, I want to talk about uh, one other chip that was really important as far as chiptunes are concerned. It was one mm-hmm. of those that kind of inspired a lot of the early uh, music makers in in computer music, and uh, and that was uh, the MOS technology SID sound interface device, which was for the Commodore sixty four. Aha. Uh-huh. And uh, this was one of those devices that, like I said, was really instrumental, if you will. It's a little <laughs> bit of a pun uh, in in launching this this craze about the eight bit music. Uh, another interesting thing, just off off uh, as kind of a tangent, is that you know you mentioned that uh, uh, is it Pixel Hate? Is that what you said? Yeah, mm-hmm. Pixel Hate. That uh, he was from the UK. I, I've noticed that a lot of the musicians who use uh, the chip tunes method uh, 
are from Europe or uh, if if you're from the UK and you don't like being lumped in with the Europeans from the UK or from Europe. Uh, it, it's inter- it was just interesting to me because I also saw a guy who had created a chiptunes synthesizer. He had converted an old organ uh, mm-hmm. into a chiptunes player. He called it the chipophone. What now? What kind of organ was this? Um, it was uh, this old like electronic organ, electric okay. organ, not okay. a, not like a bellows organ or anything wow, like that. Wow, that would be really cool. But yeah, it's like an electric organ, and uh, he had converted it so that the various switches that would uh, usually change uh-huh. the tones actually would do the different waves. Yeah. Because uh, chip tunes could play sound waves in, in various formations. You, you have like triangle waves, sawtooth waves, pulse waves, and each mm-hmm. of these waves have, have sort of a distinctive sound to them. Yeah. Right? So, you know, you think of the... Think of the different video game songs from the classic era, things like Legend of Zelda or Super Mario Brothers, and the various bleeps, bloops, and ants, and you know th- those are all coming from the different shapes of sound waves. And uh, and actually, the the fellow who made the chipophone, uh, Linus Ackerson, mm-hmm. I probably totally mispronounced his name. Um, he has a, a website where he talks about exactly what he did to create it, in, including like the wiring mm-hmm. that he did in order to make uh, this this um, this organ that would let him play chiptunes live. Because usually with chiptunes, what you're doing is you're either programming something directly in, uh, so that it'll play automatically on a, a, a chip. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're not live. You're not performing it live. You, you, you actually program it. Right. Um, or you're doing a, a program with an emulator. And we'll talk about the emulators in a little bit, but that com- that Commodore sixty four chip, like I said, was a, a big um, a, a big inspiration for a lot of different uh, musicians, not just musicians, but also engineers who were working on similar chips, mm-hmm. uh, because the uh, the Commodore sixty four chip was uh, the project started back in like nineteen eighty one, and can you guess where it premiered? Hmm. It was. Let me let me put it to you this way. Biggest uh, consumer electronics conference in the world. CES? Yeah, 1982. CES, the Commodore 64 music sound interface device chip premiered. The engineer who designed the chip was Robert Bob Yanis. And uh, he actually later went on to be uh, a founder of a synthesizer company. So that makes sense. Uh, but his original plan was actually much more grand than what came, uh, came out, and part of the reason was just that it was a, a you know a time crunch issue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the originally, th- this chip was supposed to have thirty-two independent voices. Wow. Which is yeah, this is nineteen eighty-two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, we, it just it was it was too uh, ambitious a plan, and it turned out that that was just not um, going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, he claims that about. Seventy-five percent of the things he had planned to incorporate in the chip made it into production, which, I mean, when you think about how ambitious it was, I guess that's not too bad. But uh, yeah, it was it was this this sort of uh, interesting mix of noises and music that really got a lot of people interested, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of that stuff did carry over. Into the various chips that you found in other devices, not not all you know. The Commodore sixty four had that one. Uh, the other devices, like the Atari, had uh, uh, a chip that they called Pokey. 
Ah, I remember Pokey. Yeah. I actually was going to mention that in the history podcast, and it looked like we were going to take a long time, so I just skipped over Pokey. Yeah, we, we actually lived through most of that history, which is why we were ready to talk about it at length. Uh, the Nintendo Entertainment Systems chip is the Rico 2A03, mm-hmm. which is, you know, just rolls off the tongue. Uh, and then you had other chips made by Yamaha and other companies that um, that were found in other devices like IBM's and uh, the Sega Genesis, mm-hmm. <laughs> things like that. So the the people who make chip tunes either have found ways to to create software to write music and then play them using these chips, mm-hmm. or they found ways to emulate the sounds generated by these chips in software format, and then they write the music for that. Right. So um, you've probably heard us talk about emulators before. In case you haven't and you're not familiar with the term, an emulator is some sort of hardware or software that recreates or emulates the effects of another kind of software or hardware. You hear about it a lot with video games because the old arcade games all had uh, dedicated chips that were specifically designed to allow those video games to play. So everything from the graphics to the sound, all of that had dedicated hardware. So in order for you to play the arcade game on a computer, you have to create software that can sort of fool the, the, the program into thinking that your computer is that hardware. Right. It has to recreate that. And that's why if you've ever played an emulated video game on a computer, sometimes depending on how good the emulator is or how appropriate it is for the, the ROM that you're playing, the ROM is essentially the, the game, mm-hmm. uh, the game may end up being very sluggish. Uh, I've, I remember I had a friend of mine who had a, 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 a emulator that played most games really well, but there were a couple of titles that if you were to try it, it felt like the game was running on a quarter speed, mm-hmm. which made the game incredibly frustrating to play. Because you press jump, and then you'd have to leave the room, get a sandwich, drink a drink, come <laughs> back, and then you see that your guy's finally off yeah. the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, emulators come with their own set of problems. Not, you know, Not all emulators are created equal. But that's your basic set of tools if you want to be a chiptunes musician. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny because um, I wanted to make the distinction earlier and then just completely forgot to get into it. Um, the, the difference in chiptunes is, uh, and, and another technology, um, chiptunes is generally the programming side of it. When you're programming a, an old machine to make music, whereas circuit bending, had you heard that term? No. I circuit bending is actually, is actually creating s- short circuits in an electronic device in order to have it make music. Um, and there are, believe it or not, festivals Dedicated to both of these. So circuit bending, would that be like the kind of stuff that people would do where they make hard drives spin at certain speeds in order to generate music? Or is um, that different? I, I That's my understanding of how it works. Um, and, and actually, one of the uh, projects, when I first found out about uh, Matthew Applegate's work, um, the fir- very first thing that I saw called chiptunes wasn't actually by that, by the definitions I just mentioned, a chiptune. Um, his album Obsolete uh, mm-hmm. was a recording of devices that uh, he had to work with the National Muse- Museum of Computing in the UK to get access to. Do you remember this? This is this is new to me. Uh, okay. 
they gave him access to the machines at Bletchley Park. Mm, whoa. Yeah. Bletchley Park, for those of you who are not familiar, uh, is a computing center in the United Kingdom. It was instrumental in, again, no pun intended, in um, helping break the German code system that they were using in World War II. Um, this goes back to uh, our um, uh, podcast on Alan Turing. Mm-hmm. He was one of the people that worked at Bletchley Park. Um, and now it is uh, the site of the, the National Computing Museum. Uh, and they gave him access to some of the computing equipment that they had there. And, of course, he had to promise he wasn't going to break it because uh, uh, creating chiptunes sometimes involves hacking to the point where stuff just doesn't work anymore. Right. So he had to promise he was just going to uh, to record it. And what he recorded, he was able to manipulate with, uh, you know, sound editing uh, software and basically use the electric relays, not, you know, the, the uh, little electric switches that they used for computing. And uh, it's very staccato and percussive. Uh, but that's the very first chip tune I ever heard. Really, I guess technically wasn't a chip tune. Right. But yeah, that was that more kind like of, sampling. Yes. But uh, yeah, using the uh, mechanical devices, or you know, I guess you could call them electromechanical because they are electronics, but they are also mechanical, like in a hard drive. Sure. Um, so yeah, you have you have the difference there. Um, but the festivals uh, I was mentioning earlier. Let's see. Uh, there is um, uh, the Blip Festival, uh, which is a chiptune festival, and uh, there there is a series in New York called Pulse Wave mm-hmm. um, that is dedicated to this, um, and uh, the Bent Festival is for circuit benders, um, people who use things like the Speak and Spell, nice to uh, to create music. Well, I mean, it just shows that that these little simple bleeps and bloops can uh, really inspire people to do. Some pretty cool stuff. And I mean, mm-hmm. like, for example, uh, you know, I talked about Video Games Live, the mm-hmm. um, yeah. the orchestra uh, uh, presentation of video game music. What's funny to me is that now you've come to the point where you have full orchestras yes. playing and in some cases emulating in the sense that they're trying to get these very sophisticated instruments mm-hmm. to sound like the bleeps and bloops that came from the old video games. You've gone full circle mm-hmm. because the video game bleeps and bloops were meant to kind of get as close to what we consider you know, classic music yeah, as you possible. Want, you want them to sound like violins and, and, and trumpets. Right. And now they're using violins, violins and, and trumpets, trumpets to sound to... like bleeps and bloops. <laughs> it's <think> madness. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, if you want to join in... There is a chiptune marching band. Wow. And if you go to the chiptune marching band website, um, which I thoughtfully didn't include the address to in my notes. Nice. Um, I can look it up in a second, or you can if you want to. Uh, they will give you instructions. There are instructions online and what you need to to create your own chiptune instrument so that you can participate. That website is chiptunemarchingband.com. I didn't know if it was something more difficult than that. I could. No, but that, that what, there what you they, go. What, what is up with me and my notes? I, I wasn't very good today. I don't know. I'm, I'm guessing it's because you're using an, um, a, a, a tablet computer, <laughs> which, you know, I'm using a, a, a computer computer. And, okay, enough of my anti-tablet bias. That's Okay. The, the keyboard on your computer computer doesn't work. This is true. Um, but yes, so, the, yeah. the chiptune marching band. And I, I've also seen <laughs> I've also seen on YouTube. If you go to YouTube, there are, of course, 
dozens and dozens of chiptunes videos. Oh, sure, sure. And some of the videos, like, they include the videos of the guy with the chipophone, where you can watch him play mm-hmm. on this, this organ. You can watch him play live all the tunes that came from old video games. And he can get really close to the sound of those tunes, like, to the point where... Uh, you know, if you close your eyes, you could almost imagine that this is the video game. Um, it's not quite the same because, of course, when you program a song for a, a computer, it's always going to play it mm-hmm. at that speed, you know, the tempo and everything. None of that's going to change. There's, it's never going to make a mistake. Right. Right? Whereas we're humans, and mm-hmm. we occasionally do. Like, you hit a wrong note, or you you lose the tempo a little bit, especially if you're a drummer. And, uh, I was going to was... say, I almost never hit a wrong note. Right. <laughs> you just hit the wrong, wrong. beat. Yes. Um, but yeah, the, the, you can watch that. And there's also, I saw a guy who had a, what he called the chiptunes, uh, he called it a chiptune guitar, or an 8-bit guitar. Really? Maybe he called it an 8-bit guitar. Yeah. And it was actually a really cool project. He had designed it for uh, a college project. Or high school project. I think it was college. But it was, uh, it looked like a guitar body, mm-hmm. but instead of strings, it had six arcade buttons on it. And then the, uh, the, the fret had actually strips of, um, of, of, uh, capacitant type material so that it could detect when he was touching it. And by pressing a button, he would generate a certain tone. And then by moving his hand up and down the fret, it would actually ge- change the pitch. And he could play it like a guitar, and he could create loops. You know, he, he would play a certain series of notes that would become a loop, and then he could switch to a different button and play other notes and mix a song live using this guitar-like device that used kind of the, the chiptunes mentality. Well, it seems to me that it would be pretty easy to, uh, and I'm sure someone has done it. I just hadn't thought of thought to look it up before you just said that. Um, you know, to use the Guitar Hero style controllers, mm-hmm. you know, with some of those, the buttons already wired up. Yeah. Uh, you probably wouldn't require a whole lot of modification to That's make, interesting. To, to yeah, make an I instrument like that. that. And I, you know, we could look it up now, but it's kind of late. Yeah. But yeah, it, it, you know, it's already wired to some degree and it has the, the switches in place so that it wouldn't require too much change. And, and you can think of chiptunes also being sort of the predecessor for, um, for true synthesizers, you know, uh, synthesizers in, are a little more sophisticated than the old chiptunes chips. Yeah. But, uh, and of course there were synthesizers that came out before the, the chips meant for the computers, but you mm-hmm. know, they didn't really get sophisticated until you got to the point where you could, uh, hit the bossa nova button and get that. I had a Casio keyboard. You better believe it. <laughs> yeah, and and despite the fact that I don't ever remember hearing the song before I got the Casio keyboard, I did learn how to play Heart and Soul. <laughs> yes, it it does appear that uh, just in a quick search on Google, I'm finding that uh, there are all sorts of chip tunes and Guitar Hero controller links. So I uh, I certainly was the 853rd person to think of that today yeah um so it's it's already been done so i i should i think everyone should probably check that out and see what people are doing with it so people are using these these devices and these these programs to create new music um but they're also using them to to uh cover songs or to convert songs into 8-bit format Mm -hmm. Uh, we actually listened to a couple of funny uh examples this uh this morning uh, mm-hmm. If you went to see the film Scott Pilgrim vs. the World 
and you were there at the very beginning of the movie. It opens with an 8-bit graphic version of the Universal Pictures logo. And it also has a chiptunes version of their their theme, mm-hmm. which is very clever. And it got a big laugh when I saw it because uh, I I saw it in a pre screening, and we were it was a so it's a theater packed with nerds, right? Right. You now myself included. So here we are, a bunch of nerds watching this, and as soon as the Universal logo popped up in that that format, we all started laughing. And then when the music played, it was that game over, really. I mean, uh-huh. they, he, Edgar Wright had us in the palm of his hand. But I also found, uh, if you aren't familiar with the wonderful meme of Trollolol, which by this time has died down, right? We've, right. We've gotten into the point where the peak of that popularity is way past us now. Yes. It's not one of those memes that has really stuck around. But Trollolol being uh, the uh, – was is he Russian? Uh, yes. yes. I, I know that from – he was from the Soviet era. That's what the uh, the clips from. Yeah, I do. I do believe he is. He is actually Russian, and the the recording, however, was from a I believe Swedish TV show. Ah, and uh, it's a fellow singing. Uh, of course, he's not singing any words because the words were considered to be um, a little too uh, uh, inflammatory by the the Soviets at the time. So he replaced it all with just vocalizations. Yeah, they call it vocalize. Yeah, and the uh, theme or the style. Apparently, it inspired the whole. There was a whole movement back then. Around that, not, like, not, yeah, we kind of like this. Not terribly different from uh, movements like uh, like scat singing. No, not really. So, uh, but anyway, the Trollolol tune got a lot of play on YouTube, and then I found a, a chip tune version of Trollolol, which amused us greatly. But uh, uh, but what's also cool is that people have used this kind of music to to create other forms of art that are, to me, really creative and entertaining, like. Mm-hmm. We talked about uh, in our web success stories. We talked about Doctor Horrible mm-hmm. and Doctor Horrible Sing Along Blog. Yes. Well, there was a guy who created a Doctor Horrible Sing Along Blog eight bit video game video. Yes. He he did the the whole story, which is done in three parts, and he also did his version in three parts as a video game, uh, but that dated back to the. Uh, Nintendo Entertainment System era. Mm-hmm. So it was all done in that style. The graphics were in that style, and the music was in that style. He took the music from the, the web series mm-hmm. and converted it into chiptunes versions of those songs. So if you knew the, the show, if you knew the, the web series, you could actually you know hum along. You're, you're singing, my freeze ray will stop the world, and you're just you know hearing the chiptunes version of it. Uh, it was very clever, and I've seen other versions of that as well, where you know people have taken uh, popular movies or television shows or musicals even and converted it into an eight-bit version using chip tunes to create the music, and it, mm-hmm. it does give it that weird retro uh, feel to it. That's it's kind of geeky but kind of cool at the same time. Yeah, so that's really interesting. Wow, you ready to wrap up? Yeah, I, I don't have anything else. It's, <laughs> it's funny though. I know I've said that a lot, uh, but it, it's kind of interesting that so much has been done with this. Yeah. Uh, it's the kind of thing that uh, maybe you know somebody who does it and you think, well, you know, it's just my, my friend who's really into uh, Arduino boards and, and taking things apart. But there's it's a whole movement and it's been around for a long, long time now, you know, 30 years. Yeah. And, and you see you see some I mean, we've seen a lot of people create weird ways to create, you know, music. Live music, yeah, and uh, and chip tunes. That's just one version. I mean, we could talk about like Architect, 
where mm-hmm. they use Tesla coils to create music. Mm-hmm. Uh, same sort of thing in the idea that you know, you're taking something that's very technical and geeky and then you're adding the creative side to it, the, the artistic creative side. And a lot of people think that those two worlds kind of exist apart from each other. And the truth is that they overlap a mm-hmm. lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the engineers who created the video games, uh, especially the early ones were also the ones who created all the music, right? They yeah. were, it wasn't like, you know, you had, you had the guys in the white lab coats in one part of the building and all the musicians in the messy part of the building. Mm-hmm. That's just not how it worked. They were all in the messy part of the building. Anyway, so that's kind of our discussion on chiptunes. When I upload, uh, when I when I write the blog post for this podcast, I will uh, include some videos of chiptunes from YouTube. Oh, cool. Because I think it's important, including, I think, the Trollolol one, because I don't think I can get away from that. Yeah. So as long as I can find the Trollolol one on YouTube, then I will include that, because uh, the, the site I found it on was not YouTube. Um, and then... I think it's on there, though. Yeah, I think it is. Actually, I see, I see it now, so... I will include that as well, the 8-bit-inspired chiptune cover of the famous meme, Mr. Trollolol. So uh, I will include that because it's priceless. So if you guys want to actually hear some of this stuff, go to YouTube, check it out, go to the blogs once I get the blog post up, uh, once this podcast goes live, and check it out. And, uh, and, in, and if you're interested in it, really do some research. You might be able to find either an emulator or maybe even an old chip uh, set up where you can actually – program stuff directly so that it plays on the hardware. There are setups like that. I've seen a few kind of hacked together things that are really, really cool. Yeah. And uh, and really, you're just limited by your own creativity. Yeah, and uh, definitely, if this is something that you've already been doing, uh, we'd love to hear what you've what you've got. So certainly uh, share yeah, that with us, definitely. please. Yeah, because, I mean, I, I like to rock out at work. Yeah. <laughs> He does. It's true. It's a little disturbing to the rest of it. Yeah, so, if you've yeah. done any chiptunes versions of the Ramones, totally send them to me. Yeah. All right, we're going to wrap this up. If you guys would like to interact with us, you can do that on Twitter and Facebook. Our handle there is techstuffhsw. Or you can shoot us an email. That email address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare.
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 